ultimately, I think what you're looking for, whether you're a high school coach, whether you're a player, whether you're a parent, is you want to find a place where you can thrive, a place where they're going to care about you as more than just a basketball player. They're going to care about your academics. They're going to help you in the long run to be a successful adult. And what can you get out of the game of basketball? Welcome to the Jamoti Podcast. We are all surrounded by amazing coaches and leaders. So let's get an inside look at not just what they do, but how they do what they do. After all, becoming the best versions of ourselves is Jamoti, just a matter of doing it. Today, we're joined by the host of Hoop Heads Podcast, Mike Cleansing. Mike was a four-year starter, two-time captain, and 1,000-point scorer at Kent State University. He spent 16 years as a high school coach in Ohio. Mike is the founder and executive director of Head Start Basketball. He's been running Head Start Basketball camps for 31 years. In just five years, he's recorded over 850 episodes on the Hoop Heads podcast. He covers a wide range of basketball topics relevant to coaches, players, and parents. Make sure you check out his episodes at hoopheadspod.com. Before we hear from Mike, take a moment to subscribe to our podcast and follow us on social media at Jamoni Podcast. Well, man, I just want to thank you so much for coming on and giving up yeah, your time. Absolutely. I had the pleasure of getting to talk, meet you and talk with you on your podcast, Hoops Head, about, about a year ago uh, this time, I think. Or is that two years now? Man, just a year. I think it seems just like a year. It's, I think it's only I think it's only a year. Yeah. I think it's a year. But, it, it, man, it all runs together. It's funny because you just – we've been doing ours since 2018. And yeah. We had Jason Zimmerman on from Emory. I think, well, his episode just went up today, but we interviewed him probably like two weeks ago. And I think he had the longest gap between the first time somebody, first time he came on and then coming on again. And so it was like, it's like a four year gap between when we first had him on. So it's just crazy thinking about how long we've been doing it. So man, it's unbelievable. Well, yeah, I I thoroughly enjoyed getting to be on yours. It kind of showed me one, how, how, uh, how little I know and how much, more work and how much better I have to have to get at this, but uh, was excited to kind of get to repay the favor and get to learn a little bit more about you, sure. your your basketball philosophy and the way you look at at culture and habits. And so this is a this is an honor for me, man. Well, I'm excited, man. I'm thrilled that you wanted me to come on. And I always say the few times that I've gotten to do it on this end of the microphone, it's fun to just kind of be able to sit back and answer the questions instead of having to be on point and making sure you're asking the que- the right <laughs> questions. You can just kind of sit back and let somebody else kind of take the reins and, and guide you where they want you to go. So that part of it's always been fun for me. The few that I've gotten to do on this end of it, I've really enjoyed as well as doing the ones that we do normally when I'm hosting and having to come up with the questions and, and guide the discussion. So I'll, I'll look forward to seeing where we go with this. You know, in my opinion, you you may I know you're, you're a humble person, so you may not feel this way or not acknowledge it, but you're pretty impressive, man. Like you, you do a lot of things. You've done a lot of things with the podcast. You run camps. You're, you've been a high school coach. You're a thousand point scorer in college, which I think it would have taken me about eight years to do that. <laughs> so I needed the COVID year and all that stuff, you know, uh, uh, to get there. But all the things that you've been able to accomplish in your, I mean, eight, you know, five years now of running your podcast. What are some daily habits that set you up for success? I think the biggest thing that, has always been just a part of my personality for whatever reason is just, I'm sort of a, I don't even know if the word is perfectionist, but more just a case of when I get started with something, 
I want to finish it. I want to follow through on it. I want to make sure that I get it right. And so when it comes to basketball, if I go back to all the way when I was a kid and growing up and as a player, I was just one of those kids that I was always in the gym. I was always working. I always wanted to get better. I was never satisfied with where I was. So I always wanted to see things through through, and just see how I could maximize the ability that I had. And I was never the fastest guy. I was never the highest jumper. It just, I just figured out if I'm going to be a good player that I have to put time in and figure out how to maximize the gifts that I have. And so I think as a player, that perseverance is something that really paid off for me in my career. And then you go on to my professional life. I got a business degree and then looked around when I got done and I was like, man, they want me to go and put a suit on in July and go to work. Both my parents had been teachers. I was like, I don't know if I really want to do that. Wait, 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 wait. Where's summer break here? Where's yeah, the... I was like, this doesn't make sense because I had never really seen anybody work. And so when uh, I got some interviews after I graduated and ended up getting offered a job and I seriously, I went home after I got that job offer and I was like, mm, I don't know, man, but putting on a suit, it's 90 degrees. Like, I've never seen anybody do that. So that's kind of what got me into the idea of maybe going into teaching and coaching. And obviously my parents were both in education. And so went back and got my degree and got my teaching license. And then I started teaching. And then shortly after that, I did started my basketball camps for elementary school kids, mostly in my hometown. And I think, again, when I look at the habits that have made me successful, it's okay, what's in front of me? I'm going to figure it out and stick with it. And I'm one of those guys that if something's not working, like as an example on the computer, so with the podcast, if there's something that I can't figure out or something that's not working exactly the way I want it to, like I'm the guy that'll start working on something at 11 PM and it'll be three 30 in the morning. And I'm still tinkering, <laughs> like trying to get it right. Where there are some people that they'll get frustrated and just be like, all right, I'm going to put this down or go away from it. And that's just never been my personality. So I think that perseverance is a huge part of what's made me successful is I just don't give in to things that are in my way. So if there's an obstacle, I'm going to figure out a way around it, through it, whatever it might be. So to me, that's a big part of it. And I think that anybody who's known me over the course of my entire life, especially on the basketball side of it, I think just being able to put in hard work and give your best effort in everything that you do, like that solves a lot of problems. And you mm -hmm. think about as a coach, if you can get a team or you have an individual player that just is going to work really, really hard all the time and put in their best effort that you tend to get pretty good results because there's not always a lot of people in every walk of life that want to do that. I mean, there are certainly places where you see people take shortcuts or you see kids that are on your team that they just won't want to go that extra mile. And I think that if I look at the things that have led to my success, both as a player in the past, as a coach with my camps, with the podcast, I think those two things, perseverance and hard work are two things that I do pretty well. Now, clearly there's some things that I can improve on and you're always looking to look for those things and say, Hey, what can I get better at? But I think if I point to what has brought me the success that I've had in my life, whatever that may be, I think it's perseverance and hard work are the two things that, that really stand out for me. When you were mentioning that, I thought of, being a young player, you know, in my in elementary, junior high, and learning new drills and skills. Like I'd get the pistol Pete VHS tape homework basketball. <laughs> I, I and, and I'd watch one, pause it, go out to my garage, and 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 there is this idea of I can't go on to the next one until I get this one right. So I I really understood that. Where where did for you 
where did that those characteristics where did that come from that's a great question i think a lot of it honestly when i think back i think a lot of it initially came from my dad and i just remember he taught exercise physiology and kinesiology at cleveland state university so he was a professor that had a lot of knowledge about the body and about exercise and about what it took to be successful and even when i was a kid like my dad would we'd make these contraptions like he had a we basically made a home vertimax where he made this wooden platform and then he had rubber tubing and it would strap over my shoulders and i'd be out in my garage jumping i was doing sprints probably from the time i was like 11 or 12 i actually used to go run in the cemetery in our town because there was cinder the the pathways were cinder and some of them had a slight grade down and then obviously a slight grade coming back up so i would run where you get the overstride when you're running down mm. and then you're running the resistance as you're running up and so there was all these things that my dad just sort of knew and we it was funny because we talk about plyometrics and all these different things that none of it ever really helped me i'm sure it did but i never was you know it was <laughs> one of those cases where I, I i'm like man i'd love to be able to jump and run and do all these things and man I'm, i think about how slow i would have been and how little i would have been able to jump considering all the stuff that i did to try to improve those things but i think that work ethic really came from my dad in terms of watching him just with him and his job and what he did and then also just working with me and putting the time in and explaining to me i think from a pretty young age of what it's going to take for you to be successful. And then him giving me some of those avenues mm. to work on, whether it was my athleticism, whether it was basketball, whatever it was, he was always there to support me in what I did. Like I think about the number of times that we were out in our driveway and we'd have free throw contests. We'd shoot a hundred and see who could win. And thinking about that now as a father, the amount of time that he put in to spend, whether it was on the driveway or building these weird contraptions or just talking to me about what it would take to be successful. I think a lot of who I am today was shaped by who he was and then also the influence that he had on me from a young age. And then I think I just kind of took it and clearly there's something in my personality that I probably inherited right. from him, but also just in terms of, I think there was something inherent that what he was saying to me and what he was having me do was an attractive it was attractive to me. I, I understood, I think, from a pretty young age, what I needed to do in order to be successful at whatever it was that I was going to do. And what a great reminder for coaches not to forget to spend time with the, the kids that we have. Because we, I think we're so preoccupied with things that are happening within our program, working with the players on our team. And that's important in investing in their lives, man. Like, that's the mission. Like, that's why we're doing this. But for those coaches that have kids at home, especially if they're not involved in basketball, to remember to set that side of time to, to spend just like you. you I, it made me think again, there's a lot of similarities between us, I think, in our stories. And man, coach, I got to ask you, did you ever dabble in strength shoes? Yeah, absolutely. So I have a pair. I, I could go. I could walk down right now. I still have them. They're you still have them. I still have them because come on, those things are like an iconic. They are. They are. I mean, just, they're in Seinfeld. Like yeah, they're in exactly, <laughs> exactly. Well, it's so funny because so I have a friend who he went to a rival high school of mine, and he was a basketball player and a football player. He ended up going to play football at Michigan State. He was a tight end, 
but he was somewhat just like me. He was somewhat limited in his athleticism. Now, again, he played tight end at Michigan state. So he obviously wasn't that limited, but when it came to running and jumping, he definitely was limited. And so he and I, at one point got the shoes together at the same time. And we would go and I don't know if you remember, but there was like a prescribed workout that you were supposed to do with the shoes. And then you were supposed to play and all this stuff. It was like, so he and I got him and we would work and we're like, you know, obviously you get him, you think, man, before you know it, I'm going to pick up eight inches on my vertical in like a week. And then we did it for, we probably did it for months. And I mean, there was nothing, nothing. (laughs) There was, there was, there was was nothing. You know, okay. (laughs) I I agree. The reason I brought that up is because that's a weird branch to go on right there, but uh, it's my dad. So we bought the shoes. And you know, you the workout that comes with it, there's other things that you have. It's not just plyometrics and I, like you have to do box jumps and things like that. And so my dad, we we built wooden boxes together. I mean, I can't imagine that those things were safe to jump up. They're just plywood, like to jump right. up and yeah, land absolutely. on. But yeah. I'm out in my driveway doing that thing. And um I you're right, like. I could never jump or run that fast or anything, but at least I was out there doing those things. Correct. Yeah, like to your point, I who knows how slow I could have been. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, but, there's no question. There's no question. There was, let's put it this way, there was no miracle bump yeah, in my that's ability right. to jump or my athleticism, but clearly there was some benefit to doing all the things that you're doing. If you're box jumping, if you're doing the strength shoes, if you're working on some of the stuff that I used to do. I know my dad one time, he we tied myself, we tied myself to a motorcycle once. My dad had a motorcycle and we had like the can't the do that nowadays. Nah, you wouldn't be able to do that. But we were out <laughs> on our we were out on our street and I'm running and my dad's got the motorcycle going. So we tried just about yeah. everything. And again, to your point, none of it worked and made me into a world class runner or jumper, but you wonder where you would have been without all those things. So there's clearly benefit to it. It made sense like to do everything on your toes and to have that flex, but, but obviously it didn't catch on. I mean, it it died, it died out pretty quick. And there's a couple other variations that, that, that came out. And I'm, I think I'm more amazed that that maybe there are a lot of stories out there we just never heard of them. People just blowing out their Achilles. Right. Doing that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Maybe that's why they went under some some stealth. Too many people, people just yeah, because there was such an extreme dip in your heel to the ground. Where I mean, you're really stretching everything out. Anyway, it was so ridiculous when you think about because we would play one on one. My buddy and I we play one on one in the shoes all the time, and like they were so. For people who don't know, they had this big, the big platform on the toe. And it wasn't stable. No, like, it was I not mean... stable at all. And so you it almost felt like you're like running in snowshoes and yeah. trying to move. It was, I'm sure people that were looking at us when we go up to the health club where the gym was that we work out together, people had to be going, what are these two kids doing? Here's a couple of 14, 15 year old kids, these stupid shoes on running around and they had to be laughing. Let's put it that way. We dated ourselves with that talk yes, right absolutely. there. Absolutely, only absolutely. forty years and older <laughs> are gonna really appreciate that. How many episodes on Hoops Head podcast now? We are up to. I think we released seven hundred and seventy-six today. I wow. think. I think seven seventy-six. So yeah. So probably of that. 
400 or so, 450 or interviews. And then my partner, Jason, and I do an NBA pod every week, just kind of talking about the league from a fan perspective. So yeah, we're up to 700 and whatever. And it's kind of amazing that we've been doing it since I think June of 2018 was our first episode. And yeah, you go back and listen to the first ones and you're like, Ooh, man, those are a little rough. <laughs> they were a little rough, both from an interview standpoint, in terms of my skills as an interviewer. And then also just on the tech side of it, figuring out how to get it to sound good so that people who are listening yeah. aren't offended by the 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 listening experience. Let's put it that, that way. So you get a lot better at the technology side of it too. With all of those podcasts that you've done and all the coaches and leaders you get to talk to, uh, I would imagine there are some things that you're pulling and that you start to incorporate. So what's one of the best things you've borrowed lately? I think probably the biggest thing when I think about what I've learned from the podcast is just the importance of relationships. And not that I didn't understand that before, but almost every coach that comes on that has the kind of program that you would want to emulate, they just talk about building those relationships with their players. And they talk about doing it organically. Meaning that it's not a formal situation where, hey, we're going to meet with every player once a week for 15 minutes in the coach's office. It's more just, I've got to be out on the practice floor talking to people. I've got to be having those conversations with kids while they're stretching, while they're warming up, while they're getting ready after practice as they're putting on their stuff. How do I do that? And so I think as a young coach, and again, I'm 53. So when I talk about being a young coach, I'm talking about a long time ago. But I think a long time ago, I thought more about the basketball side of it and less about the people side of it. And I think what I've learned from talking to coaches is that until you get the people side of it right, mm. the basketball side of it doesn't mean a whole lot because you have to get the kids to buy in to you, to each other, to your program. And so I think as I go back through the lessons that I've learned from the podcast, to me, that's one of the biggest lessons that I've been able to learn is you've got to invest in relationships. So when I think about what I'm doing now, so I'm coaching my daughter's seventh grade AAU team. I'm an assistant coach with that group. And so what you try to do is you try to build and talk to the girls before practice. You try to get to know them. You see how they interact. You try to build those types of relationships so that when you do coach them and you do push them that they understand where you're coming from, that, Hey, we're trying to make you the best player you can be. We're trying to make our team the best it can be. And we're trying to give you opportunities to bond and make friendships, which we talked about before that to me, it's so important. Like you, I've been around and I'm sure you have teams that have really good cultures where everybody's bought in and guys are getting along. And then conversely, you've had other teams where, it's the exact opposite and guys are constantly or girls are constantly at each other's throats. They're not getting along. There's clicks. There's all these different things. And to me, what I've learned more than anything and what I've stolen from all these coaches that I've talked to is you have to invest in your people. And when you invest in your people, that's when you end up getting the best result. Hmm. I think that's one of the biggest shifts I see in college basketball. Let's just take from today to 20 years ago. When I was still playing, I think there was more of an emphasis on how good of an X's and O's guy is he. 
I mean, it, it not that there weren't great culture coaches out there, but just take my first coach, Dave Bliss. Golly, I mean, brilliant, man. Like, organized, brilliant, but did he know us? Like, did he take time? to? Get, was there a relationship piece? Or he, he got to the point where he was known for winning, known for building programs, and that was the most important thing. And as a player, you were looking for that. Like, I want to be a part of a championship program with a guy that can really place us in there. And then a guy like Scott Drew comes in. I think he was kind of early on in that, uh, almost a pioneer in that, we are going to love each other. We're going to have great relationships. This is for life. This isn't for right now, you know? And, but now you really see that trend to where people want to know uh, about what type of relationships they're going to be able to have with you. Are, how are you going to help me? Not just in basketball, but in life. And so I, I think it's a good change. And then, I mean, you could say with the portal, it's going to be, it's kind of taken weird directions, but I definitely agree with you though. It's way more important now, it seems, than maybe it used to be. I agree with you hundred percent. I mean, when I think about my experience as a college player, I certainly felt like the relationship piece of it was not that important to my head coach. When I look back on it, it just was not, it felt like you were a tool in the toolbox to be able to help your team win. That's the way it felt oftentimes where on our team, a lot of times it, it seemed like it was us against them. So it was players against coaches. And you think about the way that things are trending now, and that's certainly not the case. And I look back on my time and one of the things that even in the moment, I always felt like it was strange to me that the coaching staff necessarily didn't want to invest in the relationships. Like that always seemed to me like that would be one of the most fun parts of coaching is getting to know your players and then building a lifelong relationship with them. Now, what's interesting is that through the podcast, I ended up getting reconnected to three different members of my coaching staff that, so I was at a division three NCAA tournament game at the College of Wooster here in the state of Ohio. And the longtime coach at Wooster who had just retired was in the stands and he had recruited me back when I was in high school. And so I went up to him, just introduced myself, said hello. And I don't know if he remembered me from 30 years ago or not, but I kind of explained who I was. And then he's like, oh, I'm friends with one of your former assistant coaches who lives here in town. And so I had talked to some of the guys who had played at Kent with me that we're still in contact with coach Dave Grube is the, is the coach's name. And so this coach from Wooster said, let me connect you. Let me give you coach Grube's number. So I ended up calling coach Grube and talking to him. And again, you see it totally in a completely different light when you're a fifth year old guy compared to what you were when you were a 19 or 20 year old guy. But I ended up having probably an hour phone conversation with him and just talking about some of our shared experiences when we were there. And then ended up actually having dinner with him and he had came to one of my son's games this season. And so there was Mm. just a, a real reconnection, which was very cool. And then with my head coach, who I think just his personality was, he was very businesslike and there wasn't a lot of, there wasn't always a lot of fun moments in that even when something funny would have happen in practice, everyone would kind of look around and be like, 
Is Coach laughing? Is it is it is it, is it okay? To laugh? Yeah, is it okay? Are we allowed to laugh? Or are we off to you know still stay serious and whatever? And so it was just one of those things. But I ended up he's in Florida now, retired, and he's in his 80s. And I ended up calling him up. This is probably like two years ago. Oh, wow. And he and I he and I talked for probably a good hour and a half, maybe even two hours, and just talked about a ton of different things. And I was amazed, in all honesty, Matt, with the things that he remembered about like, hey, how's your sister doing? Or, you know, things he remembered about my parents and just little moments that if you would have asked me, hey, did Coach McDonald remember this? Or what did he think about that? I would have said, there's no way the guy knows yeah. any of that stuff. And and so I think what happens, and I think it happened a lot more to our point that we're kind of get at is that it's sort of flipped from the my way or the highway coach to the Hey, we're collaborative and we're working together. But I think when you go back to when I played or when you played, so I'm playing from my college basketball from 1988 to 1992. And I think there was just the idea of that relationship piece. That's just not what it was about at the time. It just wasn't, it wasn't out there in the same way. And I think a lot of coaches, and not that they're still not under pressure because they are, because everybody ultimately, especially at the college level, you yeah. got to win, you got to win or you're getting fired. And so you're feeding your family and you're dependent on 18, 19, 20 year old kids. I can only imagine the stress that guys are under in order to be able to do that. But you think back to, I think back to my experiences and I just feel like coach was doing what he had to do. And it felt like even in the moment, man, I'm surprised he doesn't want more, but yet at the same time, looking back at it as a 50 year old man, you can kind of understand in the era that we played and the way that coaching was looked at and the things that he had to do it and how he had to do it. It kind of makes, it kind of makes sense to me. And it was really, it was great to be able to go back and have that conversation with him and talk and, and reconnect on a totally different way. Again, than when I was a 20 year old kid versus a 50 year old man talking to him, it was completely different. And that's a great point because I'm I'm not sitting here saying I was miserable or I hated it. I actually love playing for him. And, and I was the kind of player, I think, at that time that responded to that type of leadership. In fact, you know, in his first our first meeting, uh, he, he came and he said, guys, listen, I'm not your friend. You have enough friends. I'm your basketball coach. I'm going to teach you basketball. And I agree with like the coaches shouldn't be friends with players that's a but there was more of this like listen i'm not here for your feelings and i'm not here to learn your story like right, exactly and he, so he set that tone because he was upfront about that all right like i, I need now i know what i need to do to survive here and i but to your point i think that he did care and he showed it. There was little moments. I mean, and I don't I don't mean to bore you with a, another one of my stories because I already told all of mine on, on your podcast. But uh, we were junior year playing in American Airlines, playing Texas Tech against Bob uh, Bobby Knight, his mentor, uh, which was Coach Bliss's mentor. And a big game, Big 12 tournament. And I missed the front end of two, one, two free throws, two one and ones in the last minute and a half. And I was typically pretty clutch. I, I mean, we lost. And it is like if I hit those four free throws, the game path is so easy for us at the end. And and so I'm in the elevator with him on the way up, and it was just us two. And he looks, he says, Matt, there's I know I think I looked at him. I said, Coach, I'm sorry. 
Like I, man, I really let us down. And, and he said, Matt, there's nobody else I'd want to have shooting those free throws. It's not the lovey dovey things that you see in the, you know, these in the locker room videos that guys dancing and, and right. doing all this stuff. Now we weren't hugging each other. It's different. But there's those moments. And so, but I do think trans translating back or transitioning back to where we are now, I think it's a healthier place for players. And I think it's a good thing that culture and not feelings, I don't like that, but the uh, understanding where players are coming from in different ways that you have to really communicate to pull the best out of guys. Like, I think it's in a better place now than when, because you and I, even though there is a decade apart, it's still the same era. The coaches right. that were in charge of that era were in both of ours, right? I agree. Yeah, I agree 100%. I think what's interesting too is, and I think this translates to some degree across eras, but what I always felt like with my college experience was that as a player, I was the type of player that my coach liked, that my coach wanted to put out on the floor. And part of that was just who I was, but part of that also was me figuring it out yeah, and getting in there and trying to understand, okay, what does this team need or what is my coach like? And then can I be more like that ideal player that my coach likes? And so I was able to figure it out where, again, as a high school player, I was a scorer. I had the ball in my hands all the time as a defender. Sure. I defended, but it wasn't my main focus. And then I got to college and I'm like, look, if I'm going to get out on the floor, I played very little as a freshman for maybe four or five minutes a game. And I looked around and I said, okay, my opportunity next year, like we got a bunch of guys coming back to can score. I got to figure out, can I be a defender? And so I ended up saying, I got to become the best perimeter defender on our team. And so that's what I tried to do because I knew that's what my coach wanted. I knew that's what I had to do in order to get out on the floor. And you can look at the transfer portal and see that that attitude, that mentality, if I had any advice for players, I really feel like, look, when you go into a place, there's very few guys who get recruited from high school that get to come into their college situation. And the coach is like, all right, man, here you go. Take the ball and go do your thing. Like that just doesn't happen. And I think so many players and parents are under the impression that that's what is going to happen to their kid. Whereas I think – if you could give a piece of advice to high school players, high school parents, it's like, look, when you go to a program, I don't care what level, you can go high major division one, you can go division three, go NAI, wherever you're going to go, figure out what your coach wants, figure out what your coach needs, figure out where the openings are on your roster, and then try to do those things and try to be that person. Because most every player at the college level is going to be a role player. You're going to have a role to play. And it's not just going to be like, hey, Here's the ball, LeBron. Go do what you want. Control every aspect of the game. Like That just doesn't happen. And I think that so often, and I don't care, again, if it's in the era when you and I played or if it's in the era today, I think there's an issue with expectations of what you think you're going to be capable of doing at the college level. And again, you were a very good college player. They got to play a lot, and so was I. But it was never a case where, hey, Mike just gets to do whatever he wants out on the floor. I still had to play a role <laughs> yeah. and do the things that I was expected to do. And I think too many times kids come into college with an expectation that it's going to be just like high school, and clearly it's not. Coaches, the Jamoti Podcast is powered by Bology. Manage and measure your players' skill development and increase accountability year-round utilizing the Bology app. 
Boost inter-squad competition with drills backed by the National High School Basketball Coaches Association, including a 40-shot Bology skills assessment. Please visit Bology.com teams for information on how you can provide this resource for your team. Man, so much gold there. I'm telling you, this is, it's kind of nuts. Like, we're, we're very similar in the players that we were, the yep. mentalities that we had. High school was easy, uh, effortless with the ball in my hands, Could, couldn't care less about defense to my coaches. <laughs> he, he, he didn't have a lot of hair, but I made him lose a little bit with my lack of effort. But, man, like Luca, when you're just so good on the offensive end and you lead to winning – I don't know, it, right. but but it's you know, to look the other way. Yeah, yeah, but you you uh, you know you get to college, and here's here's kind of if 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 parents or players of, of students now in a high school like listen to this, I think you and I, I don't know, if, I probably felt the same way. Like just so thrilled and blessed that a college was interested in me to go play, and when I got there, the feeling of I've got to do whatever I can to survive. And to stay here, part of it is with social media, portal, all these things. To me, like there, people did transfer, but like there was almost a how, like how do you even do that? Like what? How do you find these opportunities? Like who do I actually have to talk to? Do I really want to make all this effort to do to the, to the unknown of what could happen or? I'm here. I'm going to set my feet. I love your point of figuring out. I still think this is a, a very valuable trait for players. Figure out what your coach wants. And I mean, use the strengths and talents that you have, but then move them, shift them in the direction that this is something he is saying this again. And again. He wants dudes that are going to get on the floor. Well, golly, I'm <laughs> going to get it. on the floor, you know, and 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 do that. It's not you, the term favorite gets thrown around like it's your right to be a favorite. It's not about brown noser, but I do think today, like because it's so easy, like it's easy to. I mean, there's literally just a website. I don't have to. I don't have to. I don't even have to talk to them. I just go on here. Like it's like online dating. Like we've right, just made exactly. it super simple. Ah, swipe. Swipe, swipe, <laughs> like forget. And, and so I don't know. I like to, I think now, and I'm, I'm rambling, but I, I think now as a player, you could make yourself so valuable to your college team by staying loyal, by remaining, by sticking around. I, I just have to think that that will, from that staff, man, they will, they'll love you for it. Well, there was a stigma, I think, back in the day. When it mm. came to transfers, I think yeah. nowadays, especially since the portal has come in place, you can talk to a ton of college coaches who are like, we just want to recruit the portal because you have guys in there that have proven themselves at the college basketball level. I was talking to a guy who does scouting here in the state of Ohio last night on the podcast, and he talked a little bit about how there's a lot of college coaches, a lot of staffs that they're not even looking at high school players anymore. It's not even on their radar. Like they're just in the portal looking and trying to find guys. And whereas while you and I were playing, I really feel like there was a stigma attached to guys who were transfers like, oh, this guy must be a problem or maybe academics or who knows. There, there's some kind of issues with the transfer, whereas now that's completely gone away. And part of that goes back to the youth basketball cycle where 
Mm. I'm switching AAU teams and guys have played at two or three or four high schools. And so there's all this thing that when they've been doing it at a younger age, it doesn't seem that strange to be able to do it once yeah. you get to college. And so I think also there's just to your point, there's so much more information out there than when you and I were trying to make decisions about where to go to school. Like if I had wanted to transfer, I, I mean, I have no idea. What would I have, who would I have talked to? Like I had a hard enough time getting in in the first place. Like I was yeah. just thrilled to be able to have a scholarship. I know I've told this story on my podcast, but like my recruitment, I was looking around. So I had no idea. My high school coach had never really had anybody that was capable of playing at the division one level. And you know, and so because of that, it's like my parents didn't have any real knowledge of what was happening. And so I still thought as a high school junior, like I'm waiting for Ohio state or Duke or North Carolina. I'm still waiting for those schools to step in and recruit me. Cause I have no idea, you know, you, yeah. there's no social media. You can't see anything. Like I'm one of the best players in my local area. So I'm expecting that that's what's going to happen. And so I remember Kent state wanted me to come down for an official visit between my junior and senior year. And I told them, no, I said, I'm just going to take an unofficial visit because I was saving my visits for these big schools that I thought were Dean Smith is going to call me. I know it. Right. Exactly. And so, I mean, but I didn't know, you know, my parents didn't know. Yeah. High school coach didn't know. It was just, there wasn't any knowledge. So like my mom and I went down to Kent and talked to the coaches and then we went and had lunch at Wendy's that we paid for ourselves. And my mom and I were sitting there and then I never heard from them again until I called them back as my senior season is winding down. Like, Hey man, you guys still, you guys still interested. And they're like, well, we got a recruiting class of six guys. If somebody can't, you know, somebody transfers or we, you know, we open up a scholarship and that's what ended up happening. So I was like the seventh freshman in a seven man freshman class and just ended up getting lucky. And so the idea of me of coming in and okay, now I, don't play very much as a freshman, which I don't know how I could have really expected anything different. And yet you could see where a guy in my situation today, somebody's in your ear saying, come on, man, you, you should, you should be playing more. And then they just leave. But I, I, at the time I would have had no idea what to do. I mean, I was just thrilled that I had a scholarship and I was getting the opportunity to play division one basketball. And I just looked, like I said, and tried to figure out, Hey, this wasn't my first year didn't go the way that I wanted to. I obviously wanted to play more, but you completely understood it. And then I just tried to figure out what do I have to do to play? And that's what I tried to do. But yeah, the way, the way the transfer portal is today, if you're a high school kid, it's, it's tough. It's tough sledding to try to find, to try to find a scholarship, try to find an opportunity. It's just, there's more and more coaches, like I said, that are just recruiting the portal. One of the best things that I've borrowed lately is from the Kilgore uh, junior college head coach. And he, he, it was at this, uh, the great American shootout or Gasso. They do some amazing things in the state of Texas. And one was called a link camp. And it was where they bring in some D three, some NAI, some, some Juco coaches to actually work with high school players. And cause they can, and then, and then they would talk to parents, talk to player. And, but that coach said, as a play high school player, you got to find the level that loves you. And you got to find a way to love them back. Like that's to me, that's brilliant. Yeah, it's well said. Absolutely. If D three is looking at you and you think you're a D one dude, but it's only D threes, find look at their schools and find a way that I, I love that. You know, I love that level. That's good advice. Yeah, it really is. And I think one of the things that clearly with social media, there's pressure out there because kids see who's signing where and this and that. And 
there's always comparison. And yeah. as we know that when you're comparing yourself, whether you're an adult and you're comparison, comparing yourself to people in your neighborhood or you're a player and you're comparing yourself to other people that you've never even seen or met or played against or whatever, it's just easy to get overwhelmed by all that stuff. And I think what I've come to learn as a coach and the level that I've been, and then also as a parent, you come to see that like, and looking back and we're honestly reflecting on my own career. Like I loved what I did. I love the game of basketball. Nothing I've ever done will replace playing for me. I just, there's nothing, there's nothing that I've been as passionate about in my entire life as, as I was about playing the game. And yet at the same time, I look back on it and I'm like, my competitive career was done at age 22. Yeah. And ultimately what the game of basketball has done is it's given me some of the things that we talked about off the top in terms of qualities that I've taken from the game, lessons that I've learned from the game. And I think, could I have learned those lessons just as easily at a division three school? Probably. But at the moment, it was clearly important to me to be able to go and play at a division one school. And I was able to do that and be successful. And I'm certainly something I'm proud of when I look back, but Ultimately, I think what you're looking for, whether you're a high school coach, whether you're a player, whether you're a parent, is you want to find a place where you can thrive, a place where they're going to care about you as more than just a basketball player. They're going to care about your academics. They're going to help you in the long run to be a successful adult. And what can you get out of the game of basketball? Because you can chase all this stuff and everybody's chasing things all the time. All you got to do is go to an AAU tournament and watch and listen and see. And there's just, there's so much going on that we sometimes forget that it's a game. It should be fun. And there are things that you can learn from it that are going to continue to impact you for the rest of your life. I'm going to be 90 years old and there's still going to be things that basketball has done for me that I'll never be able to pay it back. Well said, man. Well said. Um, one, one of the motivations for, uh, me starting this podcast was I, I during COVID, I was doing a, a shooting talk with a, a girls coach in, uh, Rockwall, which is another place in DFW, uh, no other way that we would have ever had any interaction except for having a shooting talk together on zoom. And it, it kind of morphed into culture a little bit and then into this culture activity that she does with her team. And I'm just sitting there like. Like, this is great. This is great. And then I started to think, how many other high school coaches or small college coach, whatever, have these amazing things that they do with their programs and program building and and that you'll never hear about? Because if you don't win state, that's the only time that, that you get asked to clinics around here is if right. you do that. Right. You know, and so, but that's most of us, that's not going to happen. But this is a way that I could maybe bring you know, I'll give them a platform and to share. So with all the coaches you've been able to talk to, what's one of your favorite culture building activities that either you've learned or that you've done? All right. So I have three. Yeah. So I'll start with one, which is I've put together for my various teams that I've coached with my own kids is put together like a season long notebook that has things that I think are important. So it might be the value of perseverance. And so you talk about, hey, what does perseverance mean? What does perseverance look like on our team? Can you give us examples of how 
perseverance makes us better. And so you can go through and take 10 minutes at the beginning of every practice. And it's hard sometimes, especially at the youth level, when you're talking about AAU or travel basketball, when you may not have a ton of gym time where you may want to do it 10 minutes before you actually take the floor. But I would give every kid a notebook. And then every week I would bring a new three ring binder punch out page. And then they would add that to their binder. And we'd sit on the floor. We'd sit out in the cafeteria before we went in the gym and you kind of go through it. The kids would have a pen or a pencil and they'd fill it out. And then you'd talk. And it was just a really good way I found to be able to get them thinking about some of the things that Mm. makes a good team. And so there's a lot of different, you can do some research and find positive coaching Alliance has some really good resources for that, where I stole a lot of their stuff in terms of things that I put into that notebook. But then there were also things that I felt were important that I included. And again, it just got the teams, the players discussing those things and got them talking about it, what it means to be a good teammate and what is, hard work look like and what does leadership look like and I think when you get those conversations started then you start building the kind of culture that you want to have so for any coach out there I think if you want to do something it doesn't have to be long again I'm talking five or ten minutes one page three ring binder characteristics that you think are important talk about those what does that look like in your program with your team and give them concrete examples and let them talk about times where a kid showed being a good teammate, a kid showed what hard work looks like, a kid showed what perseverance was all about. And when you do that, you tend to get more of it, especially when then you can recognize it within those practices. So let's say our our focus on the day was perseverance. All right, so now we look for that during practice. What does that look like when we're saying somebody sticks with it. So, hey, we're working on a particular drill and the kid's having trouble with the footwork, but they kept working at it. They didn't give up and quit. And so now you can cite that and be like, okay, here's what we actually mean. It's one thing to talk about it, but you really have to, I think, point it out to players, which is a big point. That's one of the things I talk to guys about on the podcast all the time. Because you hear everybody, right? They talk about their pillars. They talk about their standards. And we believe in this. And we believe in discipline. It's on we our T-shirt. It's on, right, our t-shirt. it's on our T-shirt. It's in, the, it's in the locker room. And my question is always, like, that's good. Like, it's great to talk about that stuff. But what does that actually look like? Feet on the ground, in practice, yeah, in the classroom, in your program, what does that actually look like? And obviously, most coaches have an idea of what that looks like. But to me, you have to find those things and then praise them because that's how you get them to become a standard part of what it is that you do. So the team notebook is something that I really love. And any coach, I would highly recommend that again, five, 10 minutes before practice, do it once a week and you go through a 10 week or a 12 week season and you've got 10 or 12 really good discussions that have helped get your team to understand what it is that you want them to do. And then to what we talked about before, those are lessons that they can take with them beyond just the basketball floor and beyond that particular team. So that's what I love. And then I got two fun ones that can I can I can I jump in real quick on yeah. the first one? Cause I, sure. I love the idea of the notebook and you know, directing for PGC for five summers, I used to always tell our athletes, like, listen, this this week has been great, but the most important thing that you're taking out of this week is your notebook. Yeah. Because the things that you've written down in during your season later on in life, you're gonna think of, man, there was something we talked. And you're going to find it. It's right there. So this camp gets to, in your point, this season, guys, gets to live on way past what we're doing right here. And I would encourage coaches to stick to five to 10 minutes 
Because you might think, well, man, I can't do that. Like, we don't have 20, 30 minutes of practice. You don't need it. And in fact, if you're taking that long, they're probably, they're probably checked out already. <laughs> and so I think five to 10 minutes, easy to do, but very important. Yeah, and it sticks with them. I mean, I'll be honest. Like, my son's a junior, and I did this with his team, third, fourth, fifth, sixth grade. And we had those notebooks. And sometimes some of the stuff would be similar from year to year. And we always try to add things. But I see him now as a high school player, and I don't even know if he consciously even knows that some of the things that we talked about that I see in him as a player, as a leader, as a teammate, he just heard those things so many times from his dad. He's probably sick of them as a kid, but you can see the lessons that were taught that have started to pay off. And that's one of the things that, again, as a parent, I'm obviously seeing it firsthand, but I'm sure there are other kids that were a part of that, that it's influenced them as well in some small way. So that's a really good one. And then the next two are more fun things that one I stole from James Leith, who he does some leadership work. And then the other one, I honestly can't remember where I got it from. So I'll go with the one from James Leith. It's a great way to build up energy. It's just a rock, paper, scissors tournament. So you have your players and Two people are playing against each other, so you just partner up, right? So let's say you and I are playing rock, paper, scissors. We play best two out of three. Whichever one of us wins, we advance, and then we got to go. You got to go find somebody. Let's say you win. You got to go find somebody else on the team who just won their match, and then I become your cheerleader. So when you play the next match, now I'm now I'm clapping for you. All right, Matt, let's go. And so each time as you advance, you pick up more people that are kind of on your team and cheering. And so. It's really cool, especially if you're in a situation now with a 12-man, let's say you're a 12-man varsity team or a you know, 15-man roster, like it goes pretty quick. But if you had a bigger group, like let's say you had your entire program as a high school coach, like grades 9 through 12, it's the first day or you're having a meeting, you're just trying to get some energy in the room. Like it is a great, great way to get energy in the room. And obviously it's not something that you can do every day. It's not something that you can pull out and hey, we're gonna do this every day before practice because yeah, it's kind of a one-off, but it's a great way to build up some energy and get people again cheering for each other. Here's somebody I just that just beat me, and now I got to turn around and I got to become their their biggest cheerleader. So that's a really fun one. It's a good icebreaker. I think it's something that coaches can use in a lot of different ways to be able to just sort of generate excitement within whatever activity is that you're doing. It's a good way to break the ice too, and just kind of get guys talking and cheering and in a good mood. So if you have a day that maybe you're kind of struggling, boom, rock, paper, scissors tournament. I think we have to have those tools in our tool belt where, you know, the art of coaching is you have your practice plan and golly, all of those times and all of those drills are really important, but you're able to zoom out and realize what do we need in this moment? Sometimes it's to stay in that drill or activity. You know what? We don't have it yet. So I'm going to forsake the next one and man, my timing for that day. Or to your point, you know, there's this lull in the gym right now, or we just had a tough moment. What's something I can do right now to inject that energy and that spirit that we need? We do fun Fridays in season. And part of fun Fridays is we practice half court shots at the end. But I like to do things more at the beginning. And I could see that being a staple for our fun Fridays to start off because fun Fridays are typically things. I mean, usually it's a game day and this is during our athletic period. 
So we do want to get shots up through our shooting games and be competitive, but we typically like to do a couple things that are a little outside the box that people might say are waste of time, but for us, it's culture. And so I, I, I wrote that down and uh, I'm going to try it next week. Can't wait. It's fun, man. That's the art of coaching, right? Is knowing yeah. what your team needs in the given moment. There's a science to coaching and understanding the X's and O's and all that part of it. But a lot of being a successful coach is just having a feel for what your team needs in the moment and then having tools in the toolbox, things that you can go to, to lighten the mood or to get everything to, <laughs> yeah. to increase the energy, right? Good because, hey, guys, listen, you know, it's just down in here right now. Let's up the energy. Yeah, exactly. Well, yep. I don't know. How do we do that? Maybe. Do we do that? Yeah, yep. Maybe it happens. Yep. Yep. But all right, here's something that I give you. And and you know what? I feel like the rock, paper, scissors tournament is better than, you know what, guys? If you don't want to bring energy, get on the line. Right. Like that's <laughs> that's not what we're looking for. Because if especially if you run to win, if running is a part of your culture, don't make that a negative. Right. This is a way to get what you want, have some fun. And man, like we, this whole talk has been really about like, how can we make this process memorable, enjoyable for our players? And I think that's a way. Well, let's put it this way. The rock, paper, scissors is a mood enhancer. Getting on the line and running is a mood depressor. So <laughs> I think, you know, if you look at it that way, how do you, if you want to get more energy in the gym, I think I think the rock paper scissors is a great way to it's a great way to do it. All right, my last one yeah is related to podcasting. And so like I said I can't remember exactly where this came from, but I've done this a couple times with my various teams with my kids and it's so much fun and the kids have a blast with it, but what you do is you get a panel of four players that stands up in front of the team and then you have the rest of the players are the quote audience. And so what you have to do is, let's say you were part of the panel and I was part of the audience. I would say, okay, Matt, trees. And then you would start giving a podcast like you were an expert on trees. And you would just have to start talking about trees. They grow in the ground and they have different shaped leaves and there's oak tree. And so you pretend to be an expert on these topics. And so what happens is, is that kids start throwing out topics to the panel and so you have multiple people talking and there's just there's just a ton of stuff going on and it just completely lightens the mood it just gets players who maybe are a little bit hesitant to talk because everything is just completely ridiculous because the topics you have to pretend that you know something about them and you'll get kids that'll throw out all kinds of weird things for people to talk about and it just puts people in a position where you're getting to know them you're getting them comfortable communicating and talking with each other and because they're all things that nobody knows anything about there's no judgment it's not like you get a kid that has to stand up and say okay go over our six baseline out of bounds plays <laughs> it's just hey just talk yeah. about this topic and so what i've found is every time that i've done that is everybody leaves that with a smile on their face and then mm. obviously you rotate the kids who are in the audience and in the panel and you could sometimes do it where if you're going to do it multiple times, like if it becomes part of a front fun Friday type situation where, okay, our four panelists this week are da, 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 da. And then next week our four panelists are these, it's again, depends on how much time you want to dedicate to it, but inevitably it leaves everybody laughing. It leaves everybody with a smile on their face. And it's just a really good way of getting people to bond. And one of the things that coaches always want to do is 
hey, our team doesn't communicate enough. And so you get kids talking, you get them talking in front of each other. And I've always found it to be a great way to, again, just a mood lightener, a great way to end a practice, a great way to do something at the beginning of the season where your team's still really getting to know each other, getting to trust each other. And so you put them up and just let them talk about, again, whatever, trees, gophers, doesn't matter, shirts, how do, you know, how do, how do, how do cars get made? And you got to just start explaining <laughs> stuff. And so it's just, it's really good stuff to hear what they say. And then as the adult, you sit back and you know, you're laughing just as hard as the kids are. And sometimes they'll make you, kids will go, you know, coach, you got to get up there and do it. So then they really like throwing topics at you from there. So it's, it's a lot of fun. Coaches, the Jamoti podcast is powered by Shoot360. The future of basketball has arrived in Dallas-Fort Worth. Shoot360 combines the latest sports technology with the fundamentals of basketball skill development. The result is a -a one-of-a-kind video game-like basketball program designed to improve your shooting, dribbling, and passing. Visit Shoot360DFW.com to learn more and register for your free one-hour workout evaluation. Shoot360, the future of basketball is here. Being a thousand point scorer, uh, obviously you had the ability to shoot it. What's one of your favorite shooting games? So I've got a couple that I really like. The one I stole from Chris Oliver in terms of a shooting drill and three players, two balls, and you have the two players with the basketball. You have one player out in the shooting position. So player one passes to the shooter then they go out and they get the pass from the next person. So it's just, you always pass to the same person. So those three players are always passing to the same teammate and allows you to get up a big volume of shots in a short period of time. And I think that's one of the things that when I talk about coaching in practice, when you can get up a volume of shots in a short amount of time, I think that's really when you're talking about shooting drills, I think there's value in that one of the things you have to do with that drill is make sure that your passers understand, okay, you got to let your teammate get into shooting position and get them moving. Cause a lot of times, especially with younger kids and they're on their way still out. Yeah, exactly. And so then you're not getting a realistic thing, but if you go through and you talk it and you teach it, you say, okay, you got to hold the ball until your teammate is in shooting position where they're getting their feet set or they're sliding or however it is you want to get it set up then it becomes really valuable and you can do a variations of it. So you shoot off the catch, you shoot one dribble going to the right, you shoot one dribble going to the left, you can shoot off a head fake and a sidestep. You can, there's so many different ways that you can do it, but it just allows you to get a high volume of shots in a short period of time. So the key is the two passers, everybody always is passing to the same player. So those three players are rotating yep. through being the shooter and the passer always passes to the same shooter and you get your own rebound so it allows you to get a high volume of shots in a short period of time so i love that one coach i love that um it, it, you know it's it's a simple one it, it's i think almost any player has done it in throughout their playing career but it, it's i i've forgotten about it and you know i have a lot of two-player games where it one one player is the focus for the whole two minutes and then they switch. Right. I don't have a lot of small group shooting games. And, you know, speaking of Chris Oliver, Alex Sarama, those dudes at Basketball Immersion, I don't know if you felt this way. I don't think I've ever felt dumber on a podcast than when I talked to those guys. Like, just <laughs> Well, it's <laughs> funny because when I talked to Chris, so I talked to Chris early on. I had him as a guest probably within 
think he was probably with, for sure within the first 150, maybe even within the first 100 episodes. And I remember being probably more nervous <laughs> to talk to him before the podcast than I was to talk to anybody else. I'm like, because again, I'm not, I mean, I'm coaching some AAU stuff, but I'm not a high school coach. I'm not a college coach. I'm not diving into the X's and O's side of it as deep as some of the guys that I have on the podcast. And obviously Chris has a tremendous amount of knowledge and we had Alex on too. And with Chris, I just, I'm like, man, am I going to be able to hold up my end of the conversation? And it ended up going really well. And we had a really great talk, but yeah, I completely can understand because those guys are on another level in terms of their thought process with the game and and what they do from a, from an understanding, the science of it is fascinating to me. Like I'm always reading their stuff and trying to share yeah. it because it's, it's just, again, as a coach, I think it just makes you, it makes you better when you read and study guys who are doing things from a scientific perspective. And it's humbling to just, every time I get to have these talks, like even with this one with you, I just, it's humbling to realize that there's just so much you don't know. Or that you forgot. Like, I love that you said, I forgot about that one. Yeah. I do that all the time. Like, I'll yeah. be like, all right, for for six months, I'm doing this drill. I love it. And then you kind of get out of the habit of of doing it or or it doesn't work with a particular team. And then three years from now, I'm like, I remember we used to do this all the time. Yeah. How, come, how come we went away from it? And I think that happens to coaches a lot. Uh, what I love about that that game, I'll, I'll turn it into a game, is – you know, obviously the the camaraderie. You got three people going in, it and and ultimate team success is based on how they all uh, how they all shoot. But right. you can a couple things. Give it a time limit, yep. and count your totals. There, there's the game. So anytime that you can create, get as close to a game like feel of the anxiety anticipation everything that take like when that ball gets in your hands i have to make this like you want to replicate that as much as you can but then what those those dudes uh uh really talk about especially alex rama is always shooting from a different spot so the problem with a lot of my shoot games is it's repeatable spots from the shots from the same spot over and over and he he i mean i got the feeling like he really never allowed them to do that or couldn't stand that or didn't think it was good for players. And in this game, I mean, you're naturally going to be, I, I shoot it, I go get the next rebound, I find it. And then based on where I am on the floor, I'm rarely going to go right back to the same spot. Correct. So I, I think it achieves all those goals. And then you basically can just have like a, you know, a hierarchy of, okay, we're going to catch and shoot first. After that, we're going to split catch right, split catch left shot fake sidestep but like all of that within that one game while you still have the fun of competition uh again i love i already stole uh, borrowed the rock paper scissors but i'm gonna go back to that because in the spring with a smaller number we can with our six baskets groups of three is perfect i think coach you can make that almost an entire workout based on that game just different skills yeah absolutely i mean you can put whatever parameters you want on it in terms of shots. And usually when I do it, we go for like a minute and a half, but I've always been, especially in the way in, in the situations that I've been coaching. So with AAU where typically it's just me or maybe one assistant yeah. and I, I've never been good at being able to track stuff and keep score. And I've always just, it's always been a struggle for me to figure out how to do that. And I think if you were at a high school level and you had a bigger staff and, 
whatever, that it would be a little bit easier. But I've always felt like that's been one of the things that I'm not very good at is tracking and keeping score. Like I'll be the guy that I'm coaching. And then the coach kids will be like, what's the score? I'm like, I have, I have, I have, ah, I have figured no, out I have yourself. No <laughs> right. I'm like, I have no, I have no idea. I always try to designate like, okay, you guys keep the score. Cause I yeah. inevitably end up coaching and doing things and then not keeping track of it. So that's one of the things if I look at, I self-evaluate as a coach, being able to track and keep score of the different games. Like I love having competitive games, but at the same time, I'm always like, all right, you get two points for an offensive rebound and it's, it's minus one if you have a turnover. And then like 45 seconds in the game, the kids are like, coach, what's the score? I'm like, I don't, I have no idea. Like you're just, we're just going to, we're so just going to yeah, yeah. So it's funny how that works. And, uh, but, but I love that because you get a high volume of shots. And to your yeah. point, I think you can vary it up and get different kinds of shots and you're doing it in an efficient manner. And if you're in a gym or especially if you're a high school coach and you got six or eight baskets, you know, you can get everybody getting a high volume of shots up in a, in a shorter period of time. So, so I love that one. Another one I like to end practice and it's kind of fun. And I think it works at all levels, but what you do is you, you split your team up. I guess you can split them up into as many teams as you want, but typically with, with our AAU teams, we've had teams of 10. So we put them in groups of five and put them outside the three point line, two teams. And then you get three points for a shot outside the three point line. You get two points for a shot that's anywhere taken outside the key. And then you get one point for essentially what would be a layup, unless your team's not too smart and they want to shoot 12 footers in the lane, but a shot in the lane's worth one. And then you play again, depending upon the age level. Like when I had young kids, third or fourth graders, I'd play to 10. As they get older, you can increase that play to 20 or play to 25. And now there's some strategy where do I take all threes? Do I do I take the two that I can shoot from just outside the block where I'm going to make those shots? Do I need to lay up right here to just kind of get my team on the board? And so that's been a fun one that we use at the end of practice. It's not necessarily a shooting drill per se where you're working on yeah. your shot. It's more just, hey, this is the fun thing to end practice. And it's always a good way to be able to have some some friendly competition at the end. And again, you can go best two out of three. You could have the losers, you could have the losers run a down and back and then have the other team cheer for them as they as you go. So again, you're you're trying to end things on a positive. So I found that one to be a, a really, a really fun way to end practice. I see a lot of value in games like that. I think if we want our players just to get volume up, they should do that on their own. Like volume, just get on the gun, get a right. sibling at home, yep. spend mindless time just with the, the reps of shooting, the, the, the time spent. But as far as skill, mentality, and I love that you said fun, I think that's up to us. Like, I think we need to create those situations and moments for them because the odds of them on their own playing shooting games are low. They're most likely just going to get volume. So for us, let's not give them more of what they're already doing. Let's give them something different that will enhance what they're doing maybe on their own. And then this idea of fun, I don't know, maybe it's more like at the high school level, but I think colleges are doing that too. Like Coach Drew, Coach Drew, I can't, I remember the first practice walking out and hearing jock jams in the gym. Like, what? <laughs> what? There's music? music? What? Yeah, what is happening here? And Coach Tang beating the metal drum as we're walking out to the gym. Like, it was such a shift 
but I think it's it is we can't forget to to keep the fun in it because it's our job sometimes, but it's their game, and we got to keep that relationship right. Why did everybody start playing? Right? Why did you pick up a ball? I mean, you didn't pick up a ball so you could work at basketball when you were six years old. You didn't be like, man, I really want to work at my game. You picked it up because it was fun. And yeah. look, as you go up levels, it clearly gets more serious. And clearly, like we talked about earlier, if you're a college coach, like you're dependent on your players to be able to win games so that you can keep your job and you can feed your family. So there's clearly an element of that. But at the same time, I think the best coaches are able to figure out and build a culture where the players are working hard, everybody's bought in, and yet at the same time, you can have fun and remember that ultimately it is a game and it should be fun. And I think back, and I'm sure you feel this way, like there were clearly moments during practice when I was a college player where it wasn't fun. I mean, I can remember sitting in my dorm room getting ready to go to practice and being like, oh, I just, you know, I'm just not excited. And I'm a kid who loved that. I mean, I couldn't get enough. Yeah. But there were certainly moments where I felt that way. And yet when I think about the overall experience and I think about the games and I think about just how much fun it was to be able to have an opportunity to, to prove yourself and play at that level, to be able to do those things was, was ultimately a ton of fun. But as coaches, sometimes we have to figure out a way to to be able to balance that and, and help our players understand that there's a moment for hard work, but there can also be a moment where, hey, we're going through this experience together and it has to be it has to be fun because we're still playing a game. The Jamoti Podcast is powered by Sideline Interactive. Sideline Interactive is the leading manufacturer for high-quality, innovative scoring tables and LED video display boards that help coaches and schools bring more excitement to fans create huge fundraising opportunities, and make their jobs easier. Visit sidelineinteractive.com to check out their amazing products. I think that's a great segue to our, the final question before the speed round where get to know you real well. Uh, what would you do differently, differently if you could start over in coaching? So that's an easy one. So for me, when, when I started coaching, so I, I told the story before kind of how I had a business degree and ended up going yeah. back to get my teaching license and got into coaching. And my first two years as a coach, I was a JV coach with a really veteran staff. The guy actually retired, who was the head coach. He retired after, at the same time I left that school when I got my teaching job, he left. So it was a really veteran staff. And I was kind of by myself as a JV coach. And a lot of my players would go and practice with the varsity. I wouldn't even have them at practice. And then I'd have them for the games, but they had never practiced with our team. So it was like, it was a challenge. But I, what I remember more than anything, Matt, is that I thought I was a really good player. And so I thought I was a really good coach. Mm. And to be honest, I didn't do much in terms of studying the game. I didn't do much in terms of improving myself as a coach. I wasn't going to clinics. I didn't watch games as coach from a coaching perspective, trying to pick things up. My philosophy was, well, I'll do what my high school coach did, do what my college coach did. I was a good player. So I'll be able to impart the things that made me a good player to my players. And that's going to make me a good coach. And then after that experience as a JV coach for two years, I got my teaching job. I ended up becoming a varsity assistant. And I look back and my head coach, who I'm friends with to this day, and you know, I still talk all the time and 
he always tells me that the one thing he appreciated about me more than anything else was I was always loyal. So he always knew that he could trust me. And yeah. I think as an assistant coach, that's clearly something that I feel like that's a feather in my cap. But at the same time, I look back at kind of what I was like as an assistant coach. And like, I know there were times where we had summer league or we had open gym and he's like, ah, don't worry about it. I got it. And then I wouldn't go. Or I think about the fact that I wasn't going to clinics and I wasn't trying to learn. I just was kind of coasting on what I thought was my previous ability. And so I think if I look back, one of the things that I wish I would have done is I wish I would have had the mentality of how can I maximize who I am as a coach by trying to improve my knowledge of the game instead of just coasting on what I thought was what I had done as a player. And so I look back and that's probably my biggest regret. And I, I don't know that honestly, my coaching path would have changed all that much in terms of the jobs that I had and what I did, but I know that I would have been a better, I would have been a better coach. And I would have had more impact on the players that I coached over the course of my career. If I had invested more in learning about the art and the science of coaching, whereas I just, I just kind of coached. And I think about all the things I've learned through the podcast and just, I'm like, man, I would have been so much better. There's so many things I would have tried to do differently than what I actually did because I just thought I was a good player. I'm going to be a good coach. And that's kind of where I left it. So that's my biggest regret and what I wish I would have done differently. I appreciate you sharing that. I think, I wonder how many coaches that did play at a high level and were successful. I think you see it in skill training quite a bit uh, that what, what worked for them as a player, they think it's automatically going to work for players now or different people. Um, I think you and I, when we watch the game, like we, we def, I, I still struggle with this. I still sometimes watch the game and think, man, I would have done that differently. Yep. I could, I could have gotten, I would have seen that. Like, I mean, I see that window, fire it in there. Right. How did you not all, see it? Yep. Yeah. But we're dealing from the skill that we have, maybe the size, like how tall are you? I'm six, three. Okay. Yeah. We're, I mean, yeah, about the same size, but like, that's a pretty decent guard size, you know? Right, absolutely. I mean, so when our five, eight guys miss things, you're like, ah, oh, what? I mean, right. it's, it's not, you're, you're going from your, your experience, but you're right on the money. It's meeting them where, where they are. And then realizing that just because you played doesn't mean you actually know how to teach or teach effectively. That's where the PGC guys really opened my eyes is, being able to direct with them, I realized I am not good at this, at the art and the science of, of it and communicating clearly. And I, but I appreciate that humility that you have and to understand uh, what I think a lot of us deal with and probably fail at too. I think I probably thought of myself still as a player. Yeah. Early on in my career, I think I still felt like I wasn't a coach yet. I was still, I was just a player who was coaching. And I'm not sure when that 100% shifted, although I'm not sure that I still, even though I tore my ACL like 10 years ago and I've played once since then, I'm not so sure in my mind that I still don't think about being a player. Like when I go to bed at night and I have a dream, I, I don't dream about coaching. I dream about playing. And The Mavs still need me. That's right. <laughs> exactly. There's still a part of you that feels like, man, like just, like I said, nothing will ever replace it. There's some guys who the passion that they have for coaching is just incredible. And I mean, I've had tons of them on the podcast that it just comes through 
so loud and so clear. And I have that passion, but I know I also have passion for playing. There's a lot of guys that have put that playing hat away a long time ago. And, and I feel like even, like I said, I've played once in 10 years and I still feel like, I still feel like I should be a player. Yeah. If that makes any sense at all. I coach you. I'm right there with you. I, I love, I love getting to do this. I love getting to figure out ways to maximize the potential that these young guys have and uh, love the the personal part of it even more now. But I, I, I traded it all to play again, <laughs> I, I, to be able to get out there and compete. Yeah. And, and yeah. when I play three on three on Saturday, sometimes uh, I try to mask how fiery I still feel, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> I know, I mean, I, I got yeah. an and one like a, a few weeks ago, got an, and, it's just a three on three league in, in Highland park, Texas at league. No, just to get together with some right. guys and of all these different ages, I am one of the older ones, but you know, like when, when physically things just still, I haven't torn an ACL yet when things just still line up and I get an and one and that fire inside of wanting to just run through a brick wall, like, Coach, I don't know. I've never done hardcore drugs, but uh, it's 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 like I, I can only imagine, right? Like, <laughs> gotta have it, right? You're and it's there's, there's no edit like that it. comment out, but uh, <laughs> no, I yeah, I I'm with you. I, it, and maybe maybe that's still the frustration of not being able to really let that that side go of the of of being almost shackled on the sidelines you know i I know exactly i I feel like being having as much passion for playing i feel like to your point you talked about a second ago that i always was looking at things through a player's lens and i'm much better than at this now than i was for sure for sure i don't find myself saying well i would have done that or i would have done this but there are still moments where i watch and whether it's with my son or anybody else that I'm coaching, I'll just be like, how do you not see that? Like, how do you not just go right there? Like we're watching the film and you'll be like, I just don't understand. Like, how did you not see to go there? And oftentimes, again, I'm not necessarily looking at that from a coaching perspective. I'm still looking at it of I'm projecting myself into that game and like, I would have seen that or I would have gone there. How did you not know to make that pass or get in this passing lane or whatever? And so it's just, I think it's interesting because we all take our experiences that we've had, whether it's as a player, as a coach, and they build up over time and that becomes kind of who we are. And so everybody's path is different. And when you sit on the sideline or when you're in a practice and ultimately I think what we've talked about has kind of been the theme of you want to use the game of basketball to be able to have an impact on the kids that are in front of you. And whether that's, a high school team that you're coaching, whether you're a college coach, whether you're like me and you're running camps or you're doing training, whatever it might be, even you're a parent, you want the game to be able to have a positive impact on those kids the same way it had for you, the same way it had for me. Like basketball, if I look around at the way my life is designed, like 90% of it is designed around basketball, whether it's indirectly or directly. And so I just feel like the game has given me so much in terms of what my life is all about that I can only hope that 
I can share what it's done for me with the people that I come in contact with through the game. And that's just what has driven me since I've, since I've gotten done playing. It's probably driven me since I, for as long as I can remember. I just, the game has been so good to me that I, I just only hope I can give back something to the, the people who are a part of it. Coach, the speed round. Quick right, questions. Right, First thing that pops in your head. Okay. Favorite ice cream flavor? Vanilla. Greatest shooter of all time? Steph Curry. Texting or talking? Talking. Greatest basketball movie of all time? Hoosiers. For high school, shot clock or no shot clock? Shot clock. Favorite holiday? Christmas. You're up three on defense with seven seconds left. Do you foul or no foul? No foul, but I got burned by that as a high school player. Ah. So you know, can I tell this story quick? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Speed right, round so can we can dabble. Yeah. All yeah. right. So sorry. I gotta I gotta tell this story. You you won't be able to, you won't be able to tell that I'm bitter at all when I tell this story when I tell this story. I can't feel it right now. No, you can't feel it. You won't feel you won't feel my passion from 35 years ago. So we're playing in the state. This is in a in a state tournament game. It's like the third round of, you know, we're not we're not close to winning the state championship, but it's we're playing a team that is a a really good team at the time. Back in the day, the USA Today top 25 high school poll was really important. So this team that we played was ranked, they were ranked 13th nationally in the country in the USA Today top 25 poll. And they ended up having a future teammate of mine at Kent that played on this team. They also had a kid who played at Xavier that was on the team. Really good game back and forth. They had played another team that was in their league. They ducked that team to come play us, even though they were the one seed and we were the two seed. And so we went back and forth and whole game. So. I scored with like three seconds to go, got fouled. That puts us up three. So it was a tie score. And then I had an and one scored. So three seconds, they got to go the length of the floor down three. So they inbound the ball, get it to a kid at half court. They chuck it down to this kid who ended up going to Xavier in the corner. I'm standing at half court, looking straight down the straight down the floor at this kid on the th- he's standing on the three point line like his feet are on the three point line he shoots it it goes in there's an official standing on the baseline right next to where he's shooting from the corner that guy walks off the floor like starts walking off the floor like the game's over our fans are on the floor their fans are on the floor cuz the shot goes in a guy official from the opposite corner like by the scores table the opposite side of half court runs in calls it a 3 ooh Goes to overtime after they after they talk it out. Goes to overtime, and I think there were like three shots taken in the whole overtime, whatever three minutes, and we ended up we end up losing by two. So, I guess if I had to go back, I probably would have fouled so we can get a chance to have that have that <laughs> but three go in full court though with three seconds. The Correct. odds, I think, when the question like uh, some coaches will ask, "Where's the ball?" I think if you move it to half court and you've got seven seconds. Yeah, it's because you I, could I orchestrate. Think, you could orchestrate a better looking shot there, but correct. I feel like the, the honest answer to that question is: I think in college I'd probably foul. I think in high school I'd probably play it out because mm. in high school I'm not sure I would. I don't know if trust is the right word. Yeah, but I could see players doing something silly where you end up 
getting beat or it's an intentional foul or I just think yeah. there's a lot of things that can go you wrong. You definitely got to practice whatever you're yeah, going to do. For yeah. sure. So, yeah. So I think I'd, I'd probably, I probably wouldn't foul. What book would you give someone? Um, the book now, man, I'm trying to, I'm, uh, willpower doesn't work is a book that I love. And it's just a book that's not necessarily just basketball, but it's one that, kind of talks about designing your life to give you the best chances of succeeding at anything that you want to do. It's by Benjamin Hardy is the author. Okay. In basketball, actually, no, I'm going to change the order here. Okay. Your favorite place to travel? Yellowstone National Park. Nice. Uh, how many cups of coffee do you drink per day? Zero. I probably have never drank. A, I, I've probably drank four sips of coffee in my entire life. Honestly, my, my one vice, Matt is, is not coffee. Uh, it's, it's, it's Pepsi. So mm. I, I try to, I continuously try to wean myself off of it, but I continuously Hard. keep coming back to it. And part of me is always like, you know, I have very, very, very few bad habits that. It's I not enjoy, the worst. I enjoy my occasional Pepsi and I, you know, and it's part of it's part of enjoying life. So yeah. So, so no coffee, but Pepsi. Last one in basketball. Who is the goat? Jordan. It's not even close. It's not even close. I mean, there's no. <laughs> I don't care. I, I've had this argument with so many people. Yeah. I, if if you were there, and you saw it. Yeah. There's. I mean, you can make statistical arguments for LeBron, and you you might be able to say that LeBron. His longevity is incredible. Yeah, that you've had the great. He's. You, you can maybe say he's had the greatest career. But in a one game, mm. the guy at their apex, who would I want if I had to win a game? I don't think there's any question. There's nobody ever that's combined the physical tools, the competitive drive, and the mental toughness and the skill level on both ends of the floor that Jordan brought every single night. I mean, to me, it's not even – it's not a comparison. There's nobody that comes – that comes close. Coach, this has been so enjoyable, man. I, I love getting to talk with you a year ago on your podcast. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing. And But I, I just was blown away by, I feel like, how aligned uh, you and I are. And, and even our stories as players are similar. So this was just so much fun for me, man. Could not agree more. I appreciate the opportunity to come on and talk with you. And like I said, it's fun to be on this side of the microphone where I don't have to come up with the questions and I can just kind of banter back and be like the tennis player, just returning serve. I'm not having to figure out the strategy. I can just bump it back over the net to you and and, and kind of share some of the things that have impacted me throughout the basketball world. So I'm thankful that you had me on. It's been a pleasure. And hopefully uh, your audience will find some value in what we talked about today. If anybody wants to learn more about you, the Hoops Head podcast, like, I mean, golly, uh, 700 episodes, the amount of people you have on, like, it, you could just spend so much time going through your previous episodes. But what, what's a great way for them to follow and, and learn more? For sure. So our Twitter account, at Hoopheads Pod, we put out all the new stuff that goes out in terms of our episodes. So you can always find everything there. We got a website hoopheadspod.com that again has the archive of every single episode that we have it's archived our newsletter and all those things anybody wants to email me it's mike at hoopheadspod.com 
And my cell phone, if anybody wants to reach out directly, is 216-392-4059. So, yeah, anybody, I'm always happy to talk. Awesome, Coach. Man, thank you so much for your time. Absolutely. Matt, can't thank you enough for having me join you and appreciate it and look forward to look forward to, to listening to you in the future. Thank you for checking out today's episode. Please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast, share it with your fellow coaches, and find us on social media for what's coming up next on the Jamoti podcast. It's just a matter of doing it.